The Detroit Pistons in their first game with most of the players, not all, but most of the players they got at the trade deadline played a very close, entertaining, and good basketball game against one of the best teams in the entire NBA in the Los Angeles Clippers. We'll break down that game and the impact of these new players in today's episode of the Lockdown Pistons podcast. You are Locked On Pistons, your daily Detroit Pistons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's the deal? Welcome back to another episode of the Locked On Pistons podcast. Per usual, I'm your host, Kuka Hill. You can find me over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. That's another great way to support the podcast. And today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster and easier. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA. That's LinkedIn.com slash LockedOnMBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply with LinkedIn.com. So in today's episode, we'll be talking about the Pistons' close, close loss to the Los Angeles Clippers. We'll talk about the impact of the new players that they acquired at the trade deadline. They didn't have everyone. Quinn Grimes didn't play, but they had most of them. Uh, Quinn Grimes should play in the next game. But we'll talk about the impact of those players and also Cade and Ivy fitting together. We'll talk about how they've played together over the last few games. Um, But obviously, let's get into the loss itself, the game itself, to the Los Angeles Clippers. Now, first off, the fact that the Pistons were close in this game, the fact that the Pistons had a lead for the majority of this game, the fact that the Pistons, not Pistons, Pistons' biggest lead was 13 points against this Clippers team is big time. And I know that this sounds like a little bit of a moral victory, and you know what it is. I'm not going to try to sugarcoat it. It is a little bit of a moral victory. But I feel like at this point, after the trades and having this bad of a season, being able to see your team play this well should be happy for the fan base. You guys should be happy about this performance. They lost this game 112 to 106. And the Clippers are one of the best, if not the best, I think they're the best team in the NBA right now. I think a lot of people share that thought, especially after acquiring James Harden. Paul George, Kawhi, James Harden, Russell Westbrook off the bench, Zubak, Terrence Mann, uh, Norman Powell, Mason Plumley, Amir Coffey, who's played really well for them this year. Like they have a very deep, great team. And this is a team I think a lot of people are going to pick to go to the finals. And the Pistons had a lead with seven minutes left in this game. The Pistons, I thought, in this game, I know this has been a talking point on the podcast a lot. A lot of fans have felt like the Pistons were playing good basketball as of late. And I, I think they were playing better as of late, for sure. I think they were playing better offensively as of late. Defensively, not so much. But offensively, they definitely were playing better as of late after the Mike Muscala trade. And with that, that allowed them to be in games and win a little bit more. Uh, they won three games this past month, which obviously is a lot more than they had won over the last three months. So I thought they were playing better offensively, but overall I think the defense was so bad. I still wasn't too you know, thrilled with how they had played. This past game against the Clippers I think was their best game they had played since the first three games of the year. This game I thought they were competing on both ends of the floor. This is the best I thought this team has looked since the first three games of the year. And I don't even think guys played their best in this game. But they went with a starting lineup of Cade, Ivy, Asar, Mike Muscala, and uh, Jalen Duran. 
And Mike Muscala only ended up, ended up playing nine minutes. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But with that lineup, they went with a little bit more defense with the SAR while also having a guy at the forward position who technically spaced the floor out. Again, we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But I thought with that lineup, playing the core four together, you saw them, I thought, at times play extremely well together. You saw some turnovers that maybe shouldn't happen, or you saw them get out of whack a little bit in the half-court offense on to- at times. But defensively, I thought it was the best, one of the best, if not the best, K. Cunningham defensive game of the year. He was extremely active and engaged defensively on Kawhi, on Paul Dredd. I thought he played the best defense of the season. Asar obviously was playing great defensively. I thought Ivy was giving energy defensively. Don't think he was great, but him, Ivy simply giving energy and being active in that end is a big improvement from last year, and it can help versus what he was last year. So I think that helps. Jalen Duran, we'll talk about that also in a little bit. I, I did not love him defensively, but overall, it wasn't just those guys either. I thought Fontecchio was really good defensively. I thought Brown Jr. was active defensively. Sasser was active defensively. Shake Milton was active defensively. Like they had a bunch of guys playing this game that were not just slouches defensively. Maybe they're not all defensive team worthy guys, but they had multiple guys coming into this game that were active and engaged defensively and were at least average defensively, which is a huge, huge step up over where they were before the trade deadline. And the difference here is they weren't having to swap out, you know, offense for defense. These guys who were coming in and engaged defensively and playing hard defensively are not just lackluster offensively. Fontecchio in his first game with the Pistons, 20 points, nine rebounds, a steal. I, he played exceptionally well. Now, he wasn't as efficient. He shot eight of 19 on the floor, but he was incredibly aggressive from the get-go. He was out the gate coming out aggressive. I thought he played tremendous for the Pistons. He ended up playing 32 minutes, which is why I wanted to hit on. I don't think Mike Muscala is going to be in the starting lap much longer. I think they're going to start Simone Fontecchio, which I think is the right way to go. He was, I thought he was fantastic, but he was also good on the defensive end. So he was bringing something offensively in transition buckets. He had an and one in transition. He had a transition three spot up on the wing and got past from Cade. He was great in the half court attacking closeouts. There's a move that I, I saw instantly uh, watching Simone that I'm going to like. And it's not even really a cra- – it's not some different move. It's just a pump fake. But the way he sizes up his pump fake, I think it makes it a lot more convincing. Usually when guys pump fake, at least where you watch guys in the NBA, and if you go play pickup, this is usually what ev- almost every hooper I've seen, how they pump fake and go. Usually they pump fake. I think Kobe actually did a detailed video on this. But Kobe – or not Kobe, but most players, they pump fake. And then when they go to drive, they put their foot behind to, to launch off, and then they go. Or they pump fake, and then they put one foot down. Like, like they have one foot ahead. Usually they have a tell with one of their, you know, if you're shooting right hand, usually it's your right foot that's, you know, going. Or if it's your left hand, usually it's your left left foot that's either behind you or stepping to the side or something. Fontecchio, I know, is on, on almost every single closeout and drive he tried to go off of um, attacking a closeout off catch. He shoots the ball with, like, his feet, like, parallel to each other. So when he catches it, like, he looks like he's shooting every time because he, when he catches it, he's almost jump-stopping. And it looks like he's immediately raising up for a shot, so guys run out after him. And it doesn't even feel like he's taking a step when he goes. It almost feels like he's, like, jump-stopping into a drive. It, when you watch the game, you'll see. Just watch the game and look for that. I think that's a, a cool little detail that I noticed that was intriguing to me. I like the little tiny details. But I think that's why his closeout was so – or his pump fakes are so intriguing and so, like, deceiving. For defense, at least you saw it a lot in the first game. It's just a different type of attacking a closeout. It's just, it's weird. It's weird technique, and it catches guys off guard. So I, I really like that. But 
I spent way too long talking about a closeout technique. But either way, I thought he was good defensively and offensively. Troy Brown, I thought he was also good defensively and offensively. I honestly liked what little we saw from Shake Milton. I thought he was active. I didn't think I wasn't expecting much from him, but I, I thought he was all right. He was he was fine. He wasn't just out there a liability. I thought he was all right. So and then Marcus Sasser, I thought he was okay too. So the big thing that I saw in this game with the against the Clippers, and I thought the Pistons played fine offensively. I think they can be better offensively. Cade, uh, we'll talk about Cade and Ivy in a minute, but just real quickly, I thought Cade could have been more engaged and aggressive scoring the ball earlier into the game. Um, I think Ivy cooled off a little bit after the first half. In the first half, he was just going crazy. Um, but I think he cooled off a little bit in the second half. So, yeah, he was 6-12 or 12 in the first half. He had 14 points. Um, he finished off the game with 23. So I felt like I thought he was going to go on to have a bigger game. You ended up going four of nine in the second half. Um, but I, he had a fine game. I just feel like they could be even better. I think K could be even better. I think Ivy could be even better. I think Duran definitely can be better. I don't think he had a good game. Um, five of 12 from the floor, not very efficient. Asar, I thought, was, did not have a good finishing game um, on offense. But the thing is, they were in this game because they were good enough offensively. They ran enough in transition because they were good defensively. A star was tremendous defensively, like I said. And then the guys they were bringing in were active and engaged and good defensively as well. That Listen, they don't need to go 2004 Pistons with the defense, okay? I'm not saying ignore offense. I don't want that at all. But you need to have a level of defensive effort and ability to survive these kind of games. Before, they had no chance defensively. They were all offense, and their defense was just horrid to watch. In this game against the Clippers, you saw with the new additions, they had more two-way guys, maybe not two-way superstars, but they had two-way guys that allowed them to compete defensively. I think you also saw with Jane Ivey taking up more usage offensively, you saw Cade able to give more effort and have more energy on defense. I thought across the board, and I thought they they, they communicate pretty well in rotations. Where I think Asar got like two steals on being able to, you know, Cade went over and double teamed, or Ivey would go over and double team, and Asar is playing two guys on the weak side. And his, because of his freakish athleticism and his ability to play defense and read coverages and read where the pass is going and fake guys out, he was able to get a few steals on that um, and cause some confusion on the two-on-one on the weak side. I, I thought that was the biggest thing about this team in this game that I'm really happy to see, and I'm looking forward to watching the rest of the year, is them being competent defensively. Because they have enough talent offensively to score. They have enough spacing now, it seems, to score in the half-court offensively. And with the star in that core four in the starting lineup, if you get stops, they are going to be an incredibly fun team in transition to watch. And I thought they were incredibly fun in this game against the Clippers in transition because they were able to get stops. So this is the pathway for them to be a good team. I think they have enough talent to be good offensively, even with the Asar and Duran trying to figure stuff out. They have enough talent to be at least passable in the half court while they figure that out. In transition, I think they can be lethal. And defensively, they should be fine, which – Again, won't lead to them this year being a playoff team. It won't lead to them winning 50 games. It won't lead to any of that. But I do expect if they play like that and they can continue to play this way, they should be playing close to 500 basketball, I think, for the rest of the year. That's my expectation. Because what I saw in this Clippers game against the best team, I think, in the NBA, that was impressive. That was impressive. Not because they their veterans were scoring 30 points on offense and giving up all on defense like the previous games. No, I thought the young guys were leading the way, and they all were playing good defense. Running in trans, I thought it was just a complete one of their most, if not the most complete game they have played since the first three games of the year. But let me know what you guys think about it. Comment section down below or over on Twitter at Kuka Hill. Coming up, we'll talk about the impact of these new players, the new players acquired at the trade deadline, 
and some things you can read into from this game for the rest of the year because of these new players uh, coming up. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to get your best hire. It gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive. Hiring is easy when you have that many quality candidates. So easy, in fact, 86% of of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. At the start of the new year, the main thing you're probably looking forward to if you're a small business owner, you are trying to get the best team assembled, and there's no better way to get started with your small business in the year 2024, at the beginning of the year, than to get the best team for your business as possible for the rest of the season which is why LinkedIn jobs should be at the top of your list. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. You should too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA. That's linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply again at linkedin.com slash locked on MBA to post your job for free. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. Now, I think the biggest, one of the biggest things I think that you saw, or one of the biggest takeaways I'd say that you probably saw in this game against the Clippers from the new players, what they're going to have the biggest impact on is the starting lineup. That's my biggest takeaway. Because after listening to Troy Weaver over the last weekend, which he did a press conference, he came out and talked. Now, we'll talk about that in a future episode, probably in the next one or maybe a few episodes from now. We'll have a guest on. We'll talk about it um, in totality, that is. But over the weekend, he made a point to mention on multiple time, uh, multiple occasions that the priority for the rest of the season is kind of what, exactly what we talked about a few episodes ago when we reacted to the trade deadline. When I said what my biggest, what I think the Pistons' biggest goal for the rest of the year should be. And he basically echoed those thoughts that for the rest of the year, they need to see minutes from the core four. They need to see minutes of their young guys. They need to see if they fit together. They need to see Kate and Ivy together. You need to see these guys together playing a lot of minutes, getting a big sample size for the rest of the year. He echoed that multiple times over and over and over in his press conference. And I think you saw already, and this is without Quinn Grimes playing in this game, I think you just saw even these guys, that these players should allow you to get that sample size. They should allow you to play your core four together. For the rest of the year, I said this I either on the last podcast or I tweeted it out. From, from here on out, look, the beginning of the year to now, it, it, look, Monty Williams had a terrible card to play with. Now, I, I don't know if he was doing the best job. Actually, I don't think he was doing the best job with his cards. But nonetheless, he was given bad cards to play with nonetheless. Now, from the rest of the year, he has cards. He has good cards to play with. He has an ace and a king. Okay, that's what he's being started off with. Okay, actually, you know, if you're playing like blackjack, let's say he started off with like, he has a 10 and an 8 now. He has a 10 and an 8, and, you know, 
he has some good cards here. He has to play it right. Troy Weaver dealt it out, gave him a 10 and 8. Now he has to play well the rest of the year with those cards. Now, if, if th- he doesn't do that the rest of the year, that completely and 100% falls on Monty Williams. Now, and to some fans, they're already blaming Monty before this. And I don't blame them. Obviously, with how bad the season was, we don't need to get into all that again, as we did for two months. But I don't blame anyone who blames Oliver on Monty Williams at all. But now, I think my point is, is now you no longer have that excuse. You, you, like, it's not even a possibility. Like, people can't even have that argument that you don't have the best situation. They have a good enough situation now to where you can see those core four guys play together. If they are not starting together the rest of the year, if those guys are not playing a lot of minutes the rest of the year, it's not because Troy Weaver didn't provide you with the players to let them play together. You have the players now that allow them to play together. If you don't play them, it's on Monty Williams. So that's my biggest takeaway. Playing Simone Fontecchio to get with them, I think is the best route. He looks like he'd be a really good fit with them. I think they're going to be pretty good. Even with Troy Brown, even with um, – um, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Queen Grimes. Like any of those players, you can play them with this lineup because you can put Simone Fontecchio at four or you can put Asar at four. And Asar at four, you can survive with him at the four position. Actually, it might be his best position for this team. I, I'm just going to be honest. It might be his best position. So you're able to play him with Fontecchio, with Troy Brown Jr., with with uh, Quinn Grimes. You can play him with all those guys, and they all fit into what you need with those four guys. So I think that's my biggest takeaway. The impact of these new players, you should be allowed to play your core four guys together, and they look good, I thought, this past game against the Clippers. Weren't good enough to win. Weren't good enough to beat the best team in the NBA. But they had a big lead on them. They had a lead in the fourth quarter. And they were competitive through the entire game. Even at the end of the fourth quarter, they made it a game, kept it a game. I think that's my biggest takeaway with the impact of these new players. You're going to see, hopefully, these core four guys together uh, playing a lot of minutes for the rest of the year. The next takeaway I have, my next takeaway from the impact of the new players, I think Simone Fontecchio is going to be fantastic for the Detroit Pistons. This is a dude, I don't expect him to score 20 every night. but. He to me he looked bigger than than I thought um, on the floor, especially defensively. He looks a little longer than I thought, wingspan wise. I, I really liked what I saw from him defensively, and then offensively he was extremely aggressive. We already talked about it. he was attacking closeouts, he was taking threes. He had nine three point attempts in this game, his first game with the Detroit Pistons, nine three point attempts. This is his first game. They have no practice. There's another playbook like. Oh, and he had 20 points, nine three-point attempts, taken 19 shots. He took more shots than Cade. And this is his first game. He was not shy. He also had nine rebounds. Listen to this. The Detroit Pistons out-rebounded the Clippers 57-35, to according to NBA.com. Asar had eight. Duran had 18. Simone Fontecchio had nine. Cade had six. You have multiple guys who are going to be active on the glass especially between Duran and Asari, and if Fontecchio can rebound like that when in the floor with them, like, that makes up, that's the fit right there. That's the fit right there. So I, I think he's going to play a lot of minutes for the Pistons. Uh, I think Grimes are going to play a lot too. I, everyone likes Grimes. I like Grimes too. But I think Fontecchio, if he can play anywhere close to how he played against the Clippers, and it does, it's not reflected in the points. Now, I'm talking about the way in which he played. Whether he makes all those shots, he scores 20, he scores 10, that, that doesn't matter as much. Obviously, you'd like to see him score 20 a game if he can do it. it, it amazing. I don't. No one expects that. I'm not trying to say that doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter as much. The way in which he plays, I think, was so so impactful for this team 
and it's going to be so impactful on Cade, on Ivy, on Asar, on Jalen Duran. I, I think I, that was my second biggest takeaway: is that Simone Fontecchio looks like he was a really good get, a really good get. And then obviously, I think the final takeaway, and I think everyone spoke about this. I saw it everywhere in the Pistons community. The Pistons just looked like they had an NBA rotation. Now, do they look like they had a playoff rotation? Do they look like they had a finals-ready rotation? Absolutely not. But before this trade deadline, they legit did not have an NBA rotation. Like, it was not an NBA-worthy rotation. And you saw that in their record. They had arguably the worst roster in NBA history. They were going to potentially set the record for the worst record in NBA history. That was what they were up against. And since these trades, you can now say, the Pistons have an NBA rotation of players. Again, it may not be an amazing rotation, but I believe if you had this rotation from the beginning of the year until the end of the year, if they had a full 82 games together, now obviously injuries could impact this or whatever, but let's just assume people are healthy for this situation. They be, I think they'd be competing for the play-in, and everyone would be happy for, with this season if they had this kind of rotation all year. So that was like... Honestly, that might that that maybe should have been the number one takeaway is that the Pistons just simply have an NBA rotation now, and it's such a that to a lot of people that probably sounds insane. If you're not a Pistons fan and you're not familiar with the Pistons and you hear that, you're probably like, okay, so what? Like that, you'd hope the NBA rotation. But look, if you watched the Pistons before and you saw this roster before, that is such an insane jump to have had. Like if you've watched the Pistons all year, you know having just an NBA rotation of players. Of, of just NBA players, not even great ones, just NBA players is such a huge difference. You saw it immediately in this game against the Clippers, and it made almost every young player look better. It made everything on the floor look better. It made the defense look better. It, it, it was just, again, like I said earlier, it was the most complete game I think I've watched the Pistons play since the first two games of the year. I, I, I'm excited to watch this team for the rest of the year. I, I think it's going to be a fun watch every night. May, won't win every game. Who knows how many games they'll win? But I think this is going to be a much better product, very clearly. And I expect them to play closer to 500 basketball for the rest of the year. I I'm, I really liked what I saw against the Clippers, especially the quality of opponent. I, I, I really liked what we saw in this game against the Clippers. But let me know what you guys think about the impact of these new players. What's the biggest takeaway from their impact to you guys? And let me know in the comment section down below or over on Twitter. At Kook Hill. Coming up, Caden Ivey are fitting together. Just how well are they fitting together? And what do they need to improve upon? We'll talk about that coming up. This episode is sponsored by Nissan. Are you the kind of driver that likes to push things a little further? Ever wonder what adventure could be around the next corner? Our friends at Nissan have a lineup of SUVs with the capabilities to take your adventure to the next level. The Nissan 2024 Rogue is perfect for city drives and great escapes. Class-exclusive Google built-in is your always updating assistant to call on for almost anything. Gone are the days of connecting your phone. Google Assistant, Google Maps, Google Play Store are built right into the 12.3-inch HD touchscreen information system. The 2024 Rogue is the perfect mid-size crossover for your next adventure. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has room up to eight, an expansive cargo capacity, and an advanced available 4x4 capability. With 284 horsepower and up to 6,000 pounds to wing, when adventure calls, the Pathfinder is there to answer. Take the Nissan Rogue, the Nissan Pathfinder, or the Nissan Armada and go find your next big adventure. Shop at Nissan.
USA.com. Again, that's shop at NissanUSA.com to go find your next big adventure. So I want to thank you guys again for making Locked On Pistons your first listen of every single day. We're free and available on all your podcast platforms. If you haven't already, head to the YouTube channel at Locked On Pistons. Hit that subscribe button or leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. That's another great way to support the podcast. So how have Cade and Ivy looked together since Cade returned from injury in the last few games, in this game against the Clippers? How have they looked? And I'm, I'm stealing this tweet from I'm, i want to shout him out i don't know if i'm pronouncing the name right so i apologize if i didn't but julian gilchrist i believe tweeted this on twitter i saw this and it, it inspired me to talk about it in this final final segment in the six games since Cade has returned from injury this is what Cade's stat line is in these six games and we know Cade started off slow in the first two games has played better as of late and i think we all know that Cade, every time he's gotten hurt he comes back he starts off a little slow and then he starts to heat up now look i know people say that shouldn't be the case just to be able to come back and, and, you know, not have to warm up in a perfect world. Sure. But I think we know that's probably going to be the case. We've seen it literally every time he gets there, he takes a while to ramp back up, takes a few games, and then he's back to full strength. So I, I think that's the sum that's going to happen I mean, it is what it is. Um, but his splits are 20 points a game, nine assists a game, four rebounds. He has shooting splits, 45.5% from the field, 38% from three, 80% from the free throw line, 54% true shooting. And 2.7 turnovers a game. Remember, after the seven turnover game, that was the talk of the town. Everyone forgot how he had cut down the turnovers the last 25 games. That one game was ready for everyone to oust Cade from the community. Now he's only averaging 2.7 turnovers. He's had nine turnovers in the five games since. Not even two turnovers a game in the five games since. So he's cut down the turnovers. This is what Jane Ivey's done in these six games since Cade's return. 20 points a game, four rebounds, three assists, 51% from the field, 58% from three-point range, 61% from free throw, that's been something we've talked about all year. He needs to, that. That's a concern for me, but he has to improve that. Um, but 63 true shooting percentage, 3.7 turnovers a game. So how have they played together based off of that? Well, if you just look at the numbers, they've played pretty well off each other. If you watch the games, they played pretty well off each other. I, I don't think anyone should have concerns about whether they can fit together. I, I think it's very clear they can fit together. Um, I've liked how Jane Ivey has been able to take advantage of Kate Cunningham's gravity in this game against the Clippers. Cade in the first half was being blitzed on every single ball screen. He was being trapped on every ball screen. And he had a lot of assists in this game. He played really well playmaking-wise. He had 10 assists in this game. Um, I really like how he was playing in the first half. I thought he was really surgical with the passing and the playmaking. He was getting the ball out to guys and allowing them to play four and three in the weak side, which is what you got to do. And you got to have players that can take advantage of it when one guy has that type of gravity. And Ivy was taking advantage of it over and over, over and over again. That's the type of player he can be. So I really love that aspect of it. And I think with the way Jane Ivy's scoring and the way he's shooting the basketball from deep, remember that was a concern of mine a few weeks ago. He's completely quieted that. I was. It seems like right now I was completely off with that. He's bounced back incredibly well from beyond the arc. He's shooting really well. And that obviously spaces the floor out for Cade, spaces the floor out for the core forward in general. So I think those two can fit together. And you're seeing them show some flashes of how great they can be together. I think that's the case. If I had to point out some things that they have to improve on, because they're not perfect together yet. You don't expect them to be perfect together yet. But some things that I'd say to watch for to see if they continue to improve upon for the rest of the year, there's two things. One, Jane Ivey cannot turn the ball over 3.7 times a game because he's not having as much use as a Cade. 
So he ha- I, don't, I feel like he should not average more turnovers a game. He cannot have more turnovers than Cade. Because Cade's going to have the ball in his hands more than Ivy by far. Now, they're going to split more reps than they were at the beginning of the year. But Cade's still going to have more usage. And he's going to be the one playmaking. So he he should be averaging more turnovers than Ivy. Ivy can't be averaging damn, damn near four turnovers a game with lesser usage than Cade. Like, that can't happen. So Ivy has to cut down the turnovers. And then, two, I think Cade needs to – I think he's trying to figure it out and, and pick his spots. But if I, I, I feel, he needs to be more aggressive. I think very clearly you're seeing – he even talked about after the game. He said at, while I was out, they weren't turning the ball any, as much, so I'm trying to get the ball out my hands. I'm trying to cut down the turnovers, which he has. I'm trying to get the ball out my hands, you know, let guys play. You know, He said this after the game. However, Cade is the Pistons' best player. Cade Cunningham is the Pistons franchise player. Do they need to split reps between Cade and Ivy? 100%. I think they've done a mostly fine job of that over the last six games. 100%. They have to. And they're going to get better at this. However, Cade needs to be aggressive. He still needs to be aggressive trying to score the basketball. You don't want him turning into a glorified two. Like, that's not what you want him turning into. You don't want him just taking a back seat until the fourth quarter comes around. And then like he like he did in this game against the Clippers, where he was basically quiet all game scoring-wise. And then at the end of the fourth quarter, when guys couldn't make any shots, he scored like five straight buckets. Like that, that's not that's not what you want. You want him to be aggressive throughout the game. You want him to be able to pick his spots. You want him to be able to split the reps and get Kate Ivy his, his usage, get Kate his usage, you know, split it up. You want to find that, but you have to find a balance to where you're splitting the reps and Kate's playing off ball and he's letting other guys do his thing while also being aggressive. Like that should be happening. Kate still needs to get shots up. Like in this game. He only had 18 shots. Fontaku had more shots than Cade. Ivy had 21 shots this game. Cade only had 13 shots taken before he went on that, that flurry at the end of the game with three minutes left. If he didn't go on that flurry, he's ending the game with 13 shots. Fontaku would have taken six more shots than Ivy should have taken eight more. Does Ivy need to take more shots than he was before? 100%. Does he need to be taking damn near eight more than Cade? Like at that point? No. Like they need to be, Cade still needs to be aggressive himself. That's the, that doesn't mean Ivy needs to be taking 15 shots. That's not what I'm saying. If Ivy's going to be taking 20 shots, then Kate needs to be hovering around like 18, 19 as well. Like Kate should be hovering close to 20 shots too, which he ended up getting to, but that was only because he went on that crazy spree at the end. I, I feel like just at times over the, over these last six games, that's an area Kate needs to get better at. I think Ivy needs to get better uh, taking care of the ball. I think Kate needs to get better at not, it doesn't, it's not like he's laid back or he's not, I, I see some people try to say he doesn't look like he cares for the first half. That's not even close to true. I just think he needs to find a better way of balancing him and Ivy throughout the first three quarters. Because in the fourth quarter, it seems like then he tries to turn up. He tries to take up the ball a little bit more. He tries to use the ball a little bit more. He needs to just try to be aggressive and playmaking throughout the first three quarters, throughout the entire game. I think that's something he needs to get better at. And then there's something Ivy needs to get better at. So both of them, no, neither of them are better, are great yet. Neither of them are perfect yet. But I think you're seeing the glimpses. I believe they can work. You're seeing the glimpses of them working. Even with the things I mentioned, I think they've been working for the most part. They can still get better, though. 100%. They can get a lot better. And I think those two areas are some key areas they need to improve upon. So um, let me know what you guys think, though, in the comment section down below or over on Twitter, at Kuka Hill. That's all I've got for you guys today. Thank you guys for making Lockdown Pistons your first listen of every single day. Free and available on your podcast platforms. Hit that subscribe on the YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on. Until next time, I'll see you guys later. Stay safe out there. Until next time, peace out.